the other men, she heard him boast about her breasts, comparing them to ripe melons. She saw it as a blessing that her body looked different this time, as it led her husband and others to assume this baby will be a boy. A sudden fear grips her, the same suffocating fear she has felt throughout this pregnancy. What will happen if they are all wrong? Her second prayer, and the more desperate of the two, is that she not give birth to another girl. She can't endure that again. She wasn't prepared for what happened last time. Her husband burst into the room just minutes after the midwife had cut the umbilical cord. Kavita detected on him the sickly sweet odor of fermented chiku fruit liquor. When Jasu glimpsed the writhing body of the baby girl in Kavita's arms, a shadow crossed his face. He turned away. Kavitha felt her budding joy give way to confusion. She tried to speak, to articulate something from the thoughts swirling in her head. So much hair, a good omen. But it was Jasu's voice she heard, terrible things she had never heard before from his lips, a string of obscenities that shocked her. When he spun around to face her, she saw his reddened eyes. He moved toward her with slow, deliberate steps, shaking his head. She felt an unfamiliar fear rising in her, tangling with shock and confusion. The pain of labor had left her body weak. Her mind struggled to make sense. She didn't see him pounce toward her until it was too late. But she wasn't quick enough to stop him from grabbing the baby out of her arms. The midwife held her back as she lunged forward, arms outstretched and screaming, even louder than when she had felt the baby's head tearing her flesh to make its way. He stormed out of the hut amid the cries of their daughter, taking her first few breaths in this world. Kavitha knew, in that terrible moment, they would also be her last. The midwife pushed her gently back down. Let him go, my child. Let him go now. It is done. You must rest now. You have been through an ordeal. Kavita spent the next two days curled up on the woven straw mat on the floor of the hut. She didn't dare ask what had happened to her baby. Whether she was drowned, suffocated, or simply left to starve, Kavita hoped only that death came quickly, mercifully. In the end, her tiny body would have been buried, her spirit not even granted the release of cremation. Like so many baby girls, her firstborn would be returned to the earth long before her time. During those two days, Kavita had no visitors except the midwife who came twice a day to bring her food and fresh cloths to soak up the blood that flowed from her body. She wept until her eyes were raw, until she thought she didn't have another tear to shed. But that turned out to be just the dawn of her morning, which was punctuated by another sharp reminder when her breasts produced milk a few days later, and her hair fell out the next month. And after that night, Every time she saw a young child, her heart stopped in her chest, and she was reminded yet again. 
When she emerged from her grief, no one acknowledged her loss. She received no words of support or comforting touches from the other villagers. In the home they shared with Jasu's family, she was given only scornful glances and uninvited counsel on how to conceive a boy next time. Kavitha had long been accustomed to having little dominion over her own life. She was married off to Jasu at eighteen and settled into the daily toil of fetching water, washing clothes, and cooking meals. All day she did what her husband asked of her, and when they lay together at night, she succumbed to his demands as well. But after the baby, she changed, if only in small ways. She put an extra red chili in her husband's food when she was angry with him, and watched with quiet satisfaction as he wiped his forehead and nose all through dinner. When he came to her-